Hello there, Badgers. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our podcast. We really do appreciate all of you listening. So tonight, we probably should start with a bit of an apology, really. Uh, it's just Badge and myself, Sam Cooper. We talk at length about ETME and at Harrogate and GIS in Orlando, where we've both been over the last few weeks. Uh, but we also get slightly waylaid. I go on a rant about bunkers and Bledge starts getting, well, Bledge gets his clegg hammer out at one point and starts hammering the, the floor of his office. So it's slightly different, but we hope you enjoy it and we hope that you make it all the way through to the end. Uh, by all means, give us a bit of feedback. We love hearing from you. Uh, ideas for future episodes and guests. We've got some good ones lined up, but we always love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at Golf Badgers, but also I'm at Links from the Road and Bledge is at James Bledge, or on Twitter. I think he's the same handle on there, and I'm at SD underscore Cooper. So we hope you make it all the way through without getting too bored, but thanks very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Can you say something into your clip? One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. Sounds good. Brewdog. Urban fog. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's hear the cant. Oh. Bit of reverb on the cant there. Oh. Verdict. That's nice. That's nice. It's a strong one. Have you checked the... 6.5 uh, This week's podcast brought to you by Brewdog Urban Fog It's a New England IPA 6.5 Not going to make it to the end of the episode mm. Can't remember how to do an episode It's been so long I know it has been uh, Apologies for that We've had in the reason for this episode is We're going to do a double on Harrogate, BTME and the GIS The Golf Industry Show in Orlando Which me and the number one badger both attended we did. Uh, first so, one for me. Yeah, so we'll get cracking with that. But but firstly, what have you been up to recently, Sam, in your work life, uh, discounting uh, England and America trips? Okay, so obviously they were two very full weeks, the fun weeks that we'll talk about. Uh, but then I basically got back off the plane from America, went straight up to Scotland for uh, for a week, which was nice. The weather behaved. It was beautiful. So I went to Carnoustie, played Panmure with John Mack from Wallasey, who was our there kid. for our kid was there for Shout out to John McLaughlin. <laughs> Sorry, John. Apologize on Bledger's behalf. Um and all scousers, in fact, for that terrible <laughs> accent. But but uh so went up, saw John John there, he was doing a rainbow thing that uh, they were putting on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Connie because yeah, two of my guys were at that as well. It was an yeah, educational Chris event. Yeah, Chris and Peter were there, weren't they? Yes, and if they saw them, yeah, look good. I mean, that golf course is just immaculate, mm-hmm. absolutely immaculate. So, if they're going to take it up to another level, then you've got to pull your finger out, mate. Yeah, I know. I'm trying. The uh, so they're putting a they're putting a brand new uh, rainbow system in with MG Abbott. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I'm not sure, but they're doing the championship course this year, and maybe the Burnside the year after, and then. That's right. The third course after that, I think so. They're, they're definitely doing the, um, they're definitely doing the championship course at the moment. Mm. Um, but it looked, you know, it's amazing. I think from twenty eighteen, 
and the open they had there were obviously the fairways were rock hard but the the greens were a little softer a little greener um they've done a lot of work you know a lot better mm -hmm. than me but they've done a lot of work to change the some of the grasses that they've got clean us up a bit and um, sandy reed informs me that it's the it's the best uh change from <clears throat> a, i think it was quite a lot of pull in them back yeah. in the day i think that's why they were softer in 2018 yeah, and, as well keeping... i mean it was before i ever visited it but uh sandy i mean looking at the, the pure fescue now i think up there Possibly a bit of bent in them, maybe. For me, Carnoustie and Port Marnock are just like, uh, mm. you know, feel free to shout at me and tell me I'm wrong. Messages on the postcard. But for me, they're two of the best, um, to my largely untrained. Mm. Port Rush for me was pretty, I think that was pretty epic when it came to the, the firm the composition. The firmness they can get now at um, Port Marnock, especially. Yeah, I need to, we need to well. go across there. Yeah. Dublin's my favourite. My favourite city. Nice out in Malahide. Uh, Sandy Reid tells me that it's, it's the best sword uh, transformation that he's ever seen up there. So uh, that's coming from him. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it must be pretty good. Yeah. So we're there. Caught cool sort up of with our kid. Played, um, played Pamir as well. Have you played mm -hmm. Pamir? Pamir's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful golf course. Stunning golf course. Um, so especially, especially the holes five, six. Through to fourteen, just out mm -hmm. as well. Reminds me of Formby a lot, you know, sand nice pine trees, pine trees yep. rather than just heathland courses. Mm. Kind of by the sea, it's it's proper, proper stuff. Great stretch of golfing land up there in Monifief yeah. as well, and yeah, rolling straight into Monifief. And of course, the best golf of the lot is the the army base next door that they just waste firing firing rifles. All oh, right. Defending the country, maybe that's not a waste. What is a good good golf line? Oh, the Barry Budden. The Barry Budden is you could. It's probably if you took the three courses at Carnoustie, the two courses at Monifief and mm -hmm. Panmure, you could build six times that amount. I reckon mm -hmm. five or six times less amount. So what's that? Three six. So I think if you said you build twelve to fifteen golf courses. On the land that they have at the Barry Budden. Cheese. I'd say, yeah, you could do that. And they'd all be extraordinary. But it's triple SI. Mm -hmm. It's owned by the army. Game over. Not going to happen. No. But, you know, there are some places where you just think, God, there's some extraordinary land. That's one of them. The land at Muirfield that they have down. Yes. That they did. You, the, the, you can see from Gollan, yeah, it looks amazing. The one where they did the trade with Renaissance. Mm -hmm. Renaissance. Um... Where else? There's some land next to Lemoy down in the Channel Isles, mm -hmm. which is amazing. Durness. And uh, I mean, the cool links that hasn't got off the ground yet cool <clears> links. is some of the best golf land I've seen. Uh, it's out there. It's just protected. To yeah. Well, hopefully Chris Aspel can turn it into something one day. You never know. It's, oh. I don't think it's dead in the water yet. They've got something bubbling away. Yeah. I've, I've read online about. I saw they got the hotel community. permission the other day. Communities for cool, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but cool links if you get a cool Crenshaw golf course and mm -hmm. just in Scotland, it'd be awesome. I'd love to see a cool Crenshaw. Yeah, I mean, course I mean, and from uh, my perspective on the green keeping side, someone like Chris Haspel, uh, building that and taking it on. I mean, he's had the time since it was the idea was conceived to now to study all sorts of construction landforms and uh, put whatever he's learned into the uh, what, what could be cool links to. <laughs> yeah, and he's doing some good work work with Clyde Johnson at um, North Berwick. North Berwick yeah. at the moment, isn't he? Have you mm. seen Have you seen the 
bunker. Yes, I. Yeah, it looks bit, uh, Kyle, the uh, course manager, showed me when, when I seen him at Harrogate. Uh, it looks looked really cool. How, how much uh, turf tracking's gone into that? Oh my god, I wouldn't even. I, I think it was bought in turf as well. I'm pretty sure it was Cheap. bought in turf. Cheap. Uh, a very expensive way to do it, but I know that North Berwick don't have a tough nursery, so no. But you know, you've got to do these things properly if you. Mm. Got a site as historic as that, so excited to see that one. Yeah, when I, think, I guess it'd be sacrilege putting in anything else. Yeah, really. But yeah, it's. Uh, I talk about meeting Kyle at uh, uh, Harrogate. We could we could maybe start talking about what we we got up to there. Get into it. So, from my point of view, it was quite exciting to kind of take you or not take you, but spend time with you there. So. Uh, with you coming into this industry and needing to know and learn about our side of it, because I do believe that a good architect understands greenkeeping and mm-hmm. take more interest than anyone in the subject. And it was nice to just see you actually float about uh, all the different stands, uh, meeting different people. And I think you were fair content, weren't you, really? I thoroughly enjoyed it. A happy it. little badger. Yeah. Well, t- th- describe it. Describe it to the people. I'm sure there's plenty of people so, that go every year. But if they hadn't been before, how do you describe Well, Harrogate, I went to Harrogate. My first boss, Keith, took me to Harrogate when I was 17. And my first vision, memory of Harrogate is watching someone get run over in the street. Uh, <laughs> and uh, But it's it's an amazing place, Harrogate. It's very like high-end, high-end pubs, high-end restaurants, really nice bits to stay, bang in the middle of the country. Poshest weather spoons in the country. It is, yeah. Uh, and it's got, I mean, it's cheap weather spoons and so much... For I, everyone always talks about Witherspoons. You would go in there and see all the greenkeepers. <laughs> everyone been there and had a different vibe. But uh, so, but the the reason it's uh, it's put on by bigger and supported heavily by ev- pretty much every single trader in our industry, whether that be the machinery, uh, whether it be uh, fertilizer companies, chemical companies, and everything in between. People who make wash bays, people who. Like even, I mean, I'm pretty sure, I think Adam Lawrence was there from the Golf Course Mar- yeah. Architecture magazine. So you've got every, loads of architects, it's huge. Everyone in the, kind of the industry from our side, uh, there's about five or six kind of wee halls that all link up together. And uh, basically everyone goes there to look at all the latest stuff, network. Uh, but before that, Sammy Strutt uh, puts on the Continue to Learn, which is from the Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, is great, four days it? education, which is amazing. It's classes, it's seminars, it's like half day classes, full day classes on irrigation, design, construction, uh, every bit of chemistry, every bit of biology. Architecture. Architecture, yes. Do you know who did the architecture one? Um, James Edwards was going to do it, wasn't he? We met up with James at GIS, but I don't think he could make Harrogate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he normally does. He said he's been every well, year. We went, we went to an architecture one in the afternoon, didn't we? We went to a question answer session with Strutty was involved and it was good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it really is incredible and, like, hats off to Bigger for the amount of effort they put into it. It's one of the highlights of my year. It's like my Christmas. Yeah. I never look forward to Christmas, but always look forward to Harrogate. No, I didn't really get it beforehand because, you know, in my old life, there were trade shows and things. I used to do property stuff, most people know. But, um, you know, there wasn't the community, there wasn't the mm. excitement. I mean, we met up with, like, sort of, Ali Morrison, who'd gone on a train from mm. Durness. Well, train from Inverness, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, what time do they leave with Scotland? Oh, the first thing in the morning. They were, first line. They met us about four o'clock in the four. afternoon or whatever. So. 
Um, Twelve hours, probably. Yeah, so they've come far and wide to to come and meet up in the annual pilgrimage. Mm. I think it is, and it? we all meet up with our spoons and at night and chew the fat, and it's great. I mean, for me, I always see the boys that I used to work with in Sweden and Norway, and uh, you literally see them once a year, but we all know what each other's up to. Uh, and we parked the the Badger Mobile outside the Majestic Majestic Hotel. We've still got some more of those to come out um, for reasons, logistics and travelling and everything. I've mm-hmm. been slacking a little bit, but I hope you'll no, forgive. We're going to get back on it now. The Badger's going to get his edit and shoot. Well, I'm back on. home now. This is it. No excuses. Uh, but I've got a f- we've got two more to release from that from the Harrogate. Show. Yeah, we did a great one of. Um, the guys from Hailing, didn't we? Yeah, the, the two boys from Hailing was superb. That was brilliant. Yeah, it was really good. And Dan Lightfoot as well from Syngenta. Yeah. That was a really good one. And we had a fun one as well, which I need to work out the edit with <laughs> Scott, Scott and Scott. Yeah, <laughs> from Scott from Donnock and Grant from Ladybank. Uh, yeah, you need to maybe edit that a little bit. So if Yeah, I think it might be about three minutes by the time I've edited out <laughs> all of the... It was good fun, though, you know, and that's what it's all about. You know, we just we wanted to kind of show everyone what the personalities we've got in this industry and there's some some brilliant guys and it's good to get them all in one place like it was there and it was was cool to see the the graphics that you made for the badger mobile yeah mrs c surpassed herself kitting it out and uh making making an effort gotta gotta represent gotta get the badges um you know gotta put the best foot forward Mm -hmm. on tour and uh yeah i stayed in three different hotels that week and we had a we had a picture outside the fat badger as well, yeah the nice. fat badger appropriately named on but the the uh the show itself i kind of from a kind of uh a machinery badger point of view i really enjoyed a lot of a lot of the new machines are out particularly the jacobson are bringing out a a new electric ferry more yeah which i thought was pretty cool it's that's a first uh jacobson seem to be coming back on the market with new stuff you know toro and john deere have really dominated for years but Jacobson have always been kind of they're more locally in the background. Sorry, are they locally based? Uh, Ipswich, yeah. So the the factories in Ipswich, and they actually, I mean, you'd be surprised at some of the golf courses that, that I mean, use do they do Jacobson. Augusta? Augusta, yeah, that's Augusta. pretty good. Sunningdale by a lot of Jacobson it? stuff, uh, but yeah, that was I thought it was really cool actually to see, uh, I mean, electric electric vehicles. It's uh, happening, isn't it? It is, yeah, definitely. It was great to see, actually, because um, the electric stuff, the GPS stuff, the GPS and, stuff, and the yeah. things that the agricultural that mm-hmm. was that was striking for me. Like I hadn't quite appreciated how much of this stuff is developed for agriculture, and then obviously then try and get another eco that's a bit more out of the R and D and apply some of the stuff, mm-hmm. whether it be chemicals, feeds, whatever. Or whether it be the machinery, mm-hmm. and take those same things for the agriculture industry, which of course is absolutely vast, mm-hmm. and then apply them to golf, which is actually pretty straightforward. It's the same, it's the same kind of theory behind everything. You know, yeah. I mean, one of the things that we talked about when we met the John Deere guy in America was about the uh, uh, NDVI uh, mapping from drones, so the drone yeah. would fly over. Uh, take it a farmer's field for example and it can see uh, like moisture mapping or it can see where the where the where the, uh, the stress what the, the stress is or where maybe it would need some more fertilizer it's quite common on football pitches actually as well okay so then when you put the sprayer over it when you get to a certain point it ups the uh ups the pressure uh 
and then more more uh, fertilizer comes out so you can increase the amount of N uh, and for that reason uh, you get more yield if you're a farmer so uh, they can apply that to golf courses as well and you know it could be 10 years away or whatever but like what, it's, it's what was closer. the one when they were talking about the the image recognition they had on the front of a sprayer and it could be trained to recognize weeds, the weeds yeah and then it would just selectively spray bang yeah. that one individual mm-hmm. little plant get so rid. instead of me using 18 liters of praxis to spray my fairways i could I could probably use you talking milliliters. <laughs> you could probably use two hundred mil or something like that because it might hit a thousand weeds like yeah, this, but individually. Yeah, instead of blanket spraying. I mean, how good's that? Well, not if you're a chemical company. Well, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but it's better. But they make out. Uh, yeah, it's better than not being able to use them. Like we talked on the episode with Strussy, mm-hmm. talking about how you know legislation's changing. They're looking at this stuff and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you can use a smaller amount more selectively, they well, still ban it. That's the thing. Yeah, maybe maybe they look again. There's a bit more sort of pragmatism there, and you say, well, you know what? If we don't need to use as much as we have in years gone by, then why wouldn't you? Mm. Why wouldn't you let you carry on doing this and giving you guys all of the opportunities to produ- to mm. produce a good product? It's certainly a big worry to get the golf courses to the standard we've got them just now, and then if they turn around and take everything away, a it's gonna We'll never ever meet the same standards we've met before, and all these golf courses in in Britain will really start to go downhill, yeah. especially the Parkland courses. And B, you're gonna end up having a a mega black market where certain greenkeepers will be going to buy 100%. illegal agricultural because it's still the chemicals, isn't it? It's yeah, you always it's the same. It's the same active ingredient, but just with a different name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so hazoxystrobin that we spray, I think farmers spray on potatoes, is called Amistar. We spray it for uh, fairy ring or thatch fungus and uh, a, a plethora of other diseases. Uh, and it's uh, it's called Heritage across here. So it's just the same active ingredient. It might be a little bit less grams per litre, but then you can adjust that with your rate. So you can go and buy it off your local friendly farmer and then people would... I think greenkeepers would still continue to do that because they have still got a golf course to keep. And yes, it would be illegal to do it if chemicals are banned. But, you know, if you need to keep your job, then that's when the black market starts and then greenkeepers will start falling out with each other because uh, yeah. Billy next door... Is making you look bad. Yes, because, oh, why Why is Billy's course got no disease in it and yours is covered? Oh. Uh, and then, then it's like, oh, do you tell tale on Billy? Crazy. Snitches get stitches, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. Mm. Anyway, so, that was a rant. Well, I know it's important. Yeah, it? so it's, it's something we think about a lot. You know, it's it's. I mean, this being an RNA club, uh, where we host open tournaments, we are absolutely whiter than white. Geocertified and yeah, uh, everything is done completely by the book. You know, but uh, it's. I mean, we do get disease, you know, it happens and we just have to kind of, I got a little bit of fusarium there just before Christmas, which I hated, but it's grown out now, a couple of sleepless nights and yeah. just two or three of the greens in selected areas, but anyway. So when you're going there, Bledge, what's, what's, what are you on the lookout for? Are you there just to see old friends or are you there because 
you are interested in the new product products that are coming up, machinery, everything else, or is it a mm. bit of everything? A uh, bit of everything, exactly that. I love seeing my friends, I love the networking, but uh, I always do education, so I'll always do seminars. <clears throat> I We went to the really, a really good uh, morning breakfast club with uh, Sandy Reed and Richard Windows, and a big crowd actually, and they were, it was in, interesting for me to go to that because... I guess this time next year it'll be me and Ali Beggs that'll be doing yeah. it. Uh, and, I mean, there must have been a hundred odd people at that. So for those who don't know, Sandy is, what, what, what's his official title? Because he's in charge of all of them. Emperor, Emperor of Greens. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> don't know in the Kingdom of Fife. Yes, aye, so he's he's the main man at St Andrew's Links, so he looks after all seven courses. Uh, Gordon McKee couldn't make it, he was on holiday. So I guess... God, so he's God in charge of doing it. Course. Yeah, God's in charge of the course. So yeah, so he probably would have been up there with Sandy as well. And then Richard Windows used to be SCRI, I guess. Yeah, so now he's our he's our so he's the agronomist. He's the the main championship agronomist. And then Ali uh, Bex is your. He's mine because he's Royal Liverpool through and through. So yeah. you get him, and I, I'm not sure if he maybe does Burkdale as well. I don't know, but well, geographically it was. It's yeah, it makes especially with sustainability. Well, so hopefully we'll be able to ask him soon. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, annoying him to come on the podcast. Badgering him. Yeah, badgering him. I didn't want to use that. I no, it's too game. lazy, that, isn't it? Uh, but, uh, yeah, so that, exactly that. Uh, and uh, also, we did a talk this year. We did. So myself, you, Ali Beggs, and my first assistant, Chris Trimble, did a talk. And you started it off with? Yeah, so I talked about the history of Hoylake. So... Uh, I fished through my various hats and and put on my Hoylake hat and bored everyone senseless about. Oh, it was uh, it was I think everyone was pretty engaged. I think I thought it was very interesting. Well, yeah. The good thing is we've got some interesting things that have happened here, and I like talking about them. So I started off, and then, um, and then you followed. Up, I followed you? with uh, what we've been doing uh, up until this point uh, with the open infrastructure. Uh, and all the planning that goes into it and the agronomy side of it. And then Ali. Yeah, and then Mr. Bex came on, talked some reminiscences from 2014, the year he was captain, and he handed Rory McIlroy the claret jug, which is quite cool. Not yeah. many people can say they've handed Rory McIlroy a claret jug. So um, that was that was great. And then Chris spoke really well. He talked, well. also talked about uh, the new, new pottery. Well. Yeah, the new pottery. said, Mr. Beggs was uh, instrumental, really, yeah, in, yeah. in in well, it, certainly instrumental in the vision of it and the concept, and then, um, you know, interesting to see because I was on Green Committee at the time when we put it when we put it through and built mm-hmm. it, and the detail then with Martin Ewitt sort of getting the the the, the detail of the whole, um, and he talked to us about that, so. Interesting, because it's undoubtedly going to play an enormous role mm-hmm. in the championship upcoming. The biggest, yeah, yeah, uh, the biggest talking point of the whole goal, of the whole week, without a doubt. Undoubtedly, so it, it's it's um, it was interesting to sort of get Ali's perspective on that as well. Mm-hmm. And then Chris talked really well about. Yeah, Chris spoke about how we have uh, transformed the uh, the Muni range tee into uh, hopefully a first class uh, range tee for the Open. Yeah. And what we've done to it, and it was just pure agronomy, that one. And you were waiting for the question from the audience of, why did you do all that? Why didn't you just, <laughs> why didn't you just relay it? it up and relay yeah, it? yeah. Well, I mean, there was quite a few reasons for that. Uh, I think timing was one. 
as well. You know, it, it's it, we've got a we've got a sword there that's already kind of established and firm. And if you're putting bottom turf in, the yeah. amount of work you've got to do to to get it as firm as your fairways on your on your course, with a, a turf that's been grown in the space of a year with a thick woody matted thatch layer, uh, mm. it different would, kind. It wouldn't of be pretty. I don't think. I don't think the yeah, exactly the the the. Do you know? I I seen Rory McIlroy at the Open this year. Uh, he wasn't complaining. He commented on the fact that there was a an area that they were practicing off. Uh, beside of the tee that was toughed a year previous and he said that these wedges went like five yards further and it felt totally different and sandy was like oh yeah that's that's because that was toughed a year before but i mean this year or last year at st andrews they must have broken the clear camera if they put them on the fairways must yeah, have, I, mean, I mean there were hundred and i think there's somewhere about 170 or 108 i thought the greens, greens were 50. i thought the greens were approaching yeah. that they must have been the greens were 150. so the the fairways could have been upwards of that you know so two hundred. <laughs> one thing, one thing. There you go. Um, danger of danger of alienating part of the audience. There. Uh, some of the nice comments we've had on the podcast. Uh, you know, like I try and learn a lot about the greenkeeping side of things, and we've just then whistled on about Clegghammer and and gravities and and firmness. For the people who don't know, and if you do, please zone out for two minutes. What are we talking about there, Pledge? What's a clay camera? Well, I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to... This is going to be quite interesting, Sam, because whilst you keep talking, I'm going to get the clay hammer out and I'm going to clay the office floor. <laughs> this, this works great on a podcast, this, isn't it? Uh, this might end up getting cut. Might. <laughs> well, end up getting cut. However, there it is. Clay hammer. So there you go. Two foot high, yellow thing. Thing. And you basically drop a hammer. Yes, you're, it's a decelerometer, so you're basically it's measuring uh, how how fast it stops. So what are we guessing? What are we guessing? The, the office floor is two twenty. Oh, that's I think two eighty. Here we go. One, two, three. Wow, you've done that before. Two eighty four. Two eighty four. So there you go. So uh, uh, a concrete slab floor with a bit of um, cheap. Cheap square and square carpet, square to carpet tiles on, is two eighty four. But effectively, you know, what do they aim for uh, for an open championship? Uh, one twenty, one twenty to one forty, I think. And they call that firm. Yeah. So I mean, St Andrews is super firm. So effectively, all you're measuring is the ability of a ball to to stop when it pitches. Mm. And the fir the higher the number, the firmer it is. The firmer mm. it is, the harder it is to control where your ball ends up. And that's the you know, with my architecture hat on, that is key. You know, we can talk about width and angles and interaction between pin positions and, and bunkers or, or edges of greens. But fundamentally, if your greens are clegging at 90, does not make one blind bit of difference because it doesn't matter where you're coming in from. You can you head it into the pin and stop Rory it. Rory McIlroy is going to be able to stop a five iron next to the hole. Yeah, you would at 90, yeah, definitely. But yeah. if it's... 140, 150, mm -hmm. then you do have to think about it a bit more. I think for ranges, if anyone listening has a, a wet, boggy Parkland golf course, uh, Thatchy, uh, Greens, you know, you're probably looking about 70. Uh, this time of year, we would be about 90 actually at this time of year, 90 to 100. We had some good 100s the other day. Okay. Uh, 105. Not bad for February. Five. It's good for February, yeah. It's quite dry just now, but yeah, we've, I mean, 
we've been working so hard on getting these uh, parameters perfect with organic matter on the top 20. So how do you, what, what are the levers that you can you can pull? I guess you've got a temporary lever of moisture level and the dryers is the firmer you can get it, but for exactly. short term. Yep. And the, the longer, more resilient lever you can pull is organic matter. Organic right? matter and likes are using penetrant wetting agents, trying to get the, the moisture away from the surface. Yeah. Uh, sand is absolute key. So sand will drive down the... Like, organic matter is basically soil, isn't it? Mm. It's well, the, the it, soil shoots dead roots, shoots leaves, uh, all all this kind of stuff that kind of makes its way down. And then that's also, I guess, when you've got the types of grasses that can make a difference as well. Like, mm -hmm. if you've got a, a poa, which is woodier... Yes, it produces it produces more thatch. And it's got a seed head or something on it that... Creeping bent, etc. Like, that would effectively cushion the ball as it lands, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've got a finer leaf grass, it doesn't offer as much resistance. Yeah, so. I mean, you can actually find fescues being quite thatchy, thatchy okay. grasses as well. You know, for that exact reason we were talking about earlier with the, the, the new, new turf, you know, fescue actually does create, a found to create a, a decent amount of thatch. But uh, as I say, you can, there's certain ways you can control it. You don't want to start controlling thatch and fescue where ripping into it with scarifiers and pulling it out because that doesn't like it and then you end up creating gaps and then poor comes in whereas uh i mean you can do that with you can do that with poor or bent grass so the cows come home you know you can rip into it uh it actually loves it especially creeping bent yeah uh but yeah i mean here for example we've done it's actually been here now for 13 months and we've done four dry jacks okay so that's so a dry jack you're effectively just injecting pure sand into the tens of profile of yeah. the the green mm -hmm. to drive down the organic matter exactly and... yeah and we can see i mean that like moss on the greens is completely cleared up as well and they're, they're a hell of a lot firmer uh i've actually never seen a puddle on these greens in a year since being here yeah which is remarkable here's something I, again i like i'll emphasize that that's all the good work that craig's done over the years you know for and interestingly yeah. so the the part three that we just briefly touched upon the one that um ali envisaged and Mystery, but uh, managed to build um, that replaced the thirteenth green, and that green undoubtedly was the softest green on the golf oh, course. Right. Uh, if it chucked it down, as you know, we've all been on a golf course where there's a freak downpour, and mm -hmm. you have it feels like a week's worth of rain in in the space of half an hour. Well, it was always the thirteenth green, that par three green, mm -hmm. uh, that used to flood, and there's an Anecdotally, I'm not sure how true this is, but anecdotally, um, in the 1980s, that green was built by Colton about 1926. He came back after his original plan, which he did in 24, and um, and he wasn't quite happy with that corner of the golf course, so he built the that green a few years later, so 26, 27, um, and then it was a downhill par three. Uh, apparently, in the 1980s or 70s. Uh, a member who was a local farmer donated some topsoil to the golf club. And in order to bring a bit of visual interest to that green, um, completely well-intentioned, you know, this was just a style of the times, they built up the surrounds around it. So it was pretty much flat, pretty much at grade in cult style. And they decided to build up the surrounds. And it meant that... It always used to collect water 
pool a bit more, take a bit longer to drain away from the surface. And you couple that with a hitting short clubs, downhill, down prevailing winds into that damper surface. And it used to just get absolutely battered. And I'm not saying it was the reason that the hole was changed, but it was certainly a contributing factor. Uh, was the weaker one of the weaker greens on the golf course but we've digressed enormously there Bletch so why don't we talk about Harrogus and BTME again they had an award Jim Croxon had an award for best stand yeah. at Harrogate what was your favourite stand that you can remember that was good uh, the one that won that will spoiler alert um, I best stand Baron Brook Baron Brook Barenbrug. Mm-hmm. We've, we've got to say it in the Scottish accent. Barenbrug. It's uh, Dutch, so you say it in the Dutch accent. Yeah, Spanbrug. Um, but they kitted out like a clubhouse, hadn't they? Yeah, there's a like, tartan rug. It's like sitting in the tartan rug, hardest. fire, uh, Chesterfield. Nah, I think they gave it to the right, the right stand. You were no, great in that Barenbrug stand. Yeah, you, were, you were ready to buy a load of seed. I'm comfortable sat in the Chesterfield chair. Cuff me. Yeah. <laughs> With a wax jacket on, you know. Abby said, I am who I cords. am. <laughs> I am who I am. If you want someone else, yeah, they're available. But I was comfortable. On no one's not checked. No one else is available. No one else is available. That's why I'm here. Yeah, it, was, it was great. And it was, uh, do you know what? I, I, I said to the uh, the Green Tech guys, they couldn't have had a better stand because they were right beside the John Deere stand. I mean, John Deere and Toro get all the traffic. Yeah, uh, they were heaving. I mean, the Toro, the the John Deere stands, stands, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, they had a big lot, a lot of gear on it. The campy stand was really, really good. And the best thing about the the campy stand was they had a magician there. Oh wow! That bending bent, coins, bent a two p coin, which and bending really minds. That how did that happen? I don't how know. can you bend a coin? I don't know. I think it was witchcraft. It was a legit coin because I put it in my hand. I watched. It was a two p piece. I watched my hand close with the two people. There was no sleight of hand because I watched my hand close. Yeah. I, I was fixated on that. And I held it there for 10 seconds as he did his witchcraft. And I opened it up and it was completely bent. Was that better than Craven? Uh, nah, Craven's awesome. Craven's my, still my favourite. Has Craven ever bent a two people? Uh, uh, I bet you Craven could. And we'll, uh, we'll know if he does listen to the podcast because he'll text me and let me know if he can bend a two P coin. Yeah, sure he could. Uh, I I watched him uh, hypnotise a girl in the, the king's head once and gave her the one-touch orgasm. Well, I, I'm going to obviously take that out of the podcast now. <laughs> I need to stay. We've inadvertently got Craven arrested. <laughs> That's a deal. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's... Uh, what did you get out of it, then? Tell me, what did you get out of Harrogate? People. Mm. Like, that's why I like it. Um... You know, I just, I think I'm quite passionate about this stuff because I have a genuine interest in it. Mm-hmm. I don't think you go and live in a van for two years without really actually quite liking mm-hmm. golf. And and uh, that's me, you know, the people, people as I met, that, that's undoubtedly the highlight, but that's always the highlight, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's golf courses I'm visiting, if I'm playing with someone interesting mm-hmm. um i will remember that 10 times over the even the course itself mm-hmm. um and certainly how i played you know that's uh the people in the golf courses for me are what's exciting and the golf itself is very much tertiary 
and the, um, the, people, the people couldn't get back at Harrogate really and the people at Harrogate were were lovely but like you say you know to the guys from the far far northwest of Scotland to to the southeast you mm-hmm. know Ben and, and Greg and the guys That's down it. from from Kent the full the full country was represented um, so number one that was great um, what else did I take away Rob when you meet Rob 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 Hoxter from Athwaite uh, in Holland you and him the bromance the bromance and yeah. it continued in America which is beautiful to see so that so Rob if you're listening I miss you six foot six foot eight Dutch yeah, I actually need to walk through, which is really funny. Um, now, I've got I, a great picture of Rob and Danny, uh, who I used to work with at Deal, who now works at Canterbury. He's a deputy at Canterbury. And Danny is five foot one. Oh, no. Or something like that. And Rob is, what is he, six foot eight? And I've got a picture of him standing at the bar to be like, he's absolutely brilliant. He's a, he's a big guy. I think but he probably really is. Though. He won't be far off. Though. Yeah, he can't be. To be honest, yeah. Really? He's... Big chap, very nice chap. Um, and yeah, so to be honest, I, I know this will sound a bit ridiculous, but I probably enjoyed just meeting people, chatting to people um, in Weatherspoons as much as I did in yeah, the Yeah, you learn at home Weatherspoons, people laugh it off, but it's, it's true because that's what you talk about. You don't go in there to talk about what everyone's other interests are. No, you talk about everyone's what? there has got a common interest. Mm. Um, and unashamedly happy to talk about it as well you know it's not like you have to be embarrassed that you really like greenkeeping or architecture or whatever else like mm. everyone there does so that's the great thing about about it i thought um but like you say it was interesting uh talking at the continue to learn stuff uh i didn't do a great deal of public talking public speaking or anything but it was interesting because yeah, architects can... are becoming more and more prevalent in our industry you see, I mean, in America, you, the receptions were, at, were hundreds of them there. Yeah. And it, and it's great to see more of you guys at things like Continue to Learn and, and, and Harrogate because we work with you a lot, you know, and uh, it, it's it's very important that you guys understand our side of the industry and there's a good bond and it's good to see you guys kicking about. 100%. And it's quite interesting, actually, this past week. Um, I've been dusting all around Scotland it's amazing how much you sort of do to make golf courses more interesting and one of the things that we're doing quite a bit of actually is getting rid of bunkers and things mm. like that on golf courses especially inland a few places I've been this year and you know wet heavy soils importing sand at 55 pounds a ton or whatever it is now bunker liners drainage all of that stuff and really, they didn't have the budgets or the staff or the resources to maintain that. And we're a big believer at CDP in one well-placed bunker is worth 10 thrown in ad hoc. You know, there's so many bunkers that used to be in place for to catch the, the good golfers when they only hit the ball 220 yards. Well, they're only catching the, um, the average shot to the average golfer. So... Do they really need to be there? And and the golfer who hits the ball 280 yards through the air has zero hazards because they're flying over all of the old hazards. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a trend nowadays, for me, really good architecture, um, actually rationalising that stuff. And that works with you guys on your side of the industry because how much, do, how much of your time goes into bunkers? 
the majority. I did a, I did a study years ago down at Deal when we had the Tough Keeper software when we kept a diary and it counted up how many hours you did bunkers and it was a ridiculous percentage. And time, cost, um, what, one of the things that... They also looked really messy very fast. Yeah. Within the first two hours of a tournament, they're wrecked and well, your golf course looks terrible. At, at Wallasey, they didn't have a turf nursery. Um, I sat down with our kids and worked out uh, how long, how much time he spends mm -hmm. working on them, how much cost it takes to, uh, it, it eats up with uh, turf, buying in turf. Um, and John was blown away, actually, when you actually quantify it and say, well, this is, if you work out the, the hours spent, quantify that, how much it costs to buy the turf in, the regularity that you do it, then this is how much you spend every single year just to look exactly the same as you do right now. Mm. And Wallace is not a poor club by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a wealthy club, but in the grand scheme of things, it's top, uh, mm. it's closer to the top than it is to the, to the middle even in terms of revenues and, and amount they can spend on the golf course. And as a chunk of the budget going into that, it just makes you think, I'm not saying, I'm not anti-bunkers, far from it. But when this is a big part of your resources and what you have available, you've got to make sure that they're in the right place and you've got to make sure that they're working for you. Because if they're not, then you're just throwing money down the drain every single year. The dream is a bunkerless golf course. Well, and, and they exist. Um, brief anecdote, we've gone completely off track, but it's funny. Um, there's a golf course in North Wales called Ball Bay, and it's North Herbert Father Golf Course. Beautiful. Ball Bay or Ball Bay? Ball Bay. Ball. So Ball Bay was built by the Marquis of Anglesey. So the Marquis of Anglesey had two estates. He had his one on Anglesey, and he had one in on Cannock Chase in Staffordshire called Beau Desert. Beautiful wilderness. And he decided that he was going to build a couple of golf courses, one on each. So he was a member of Wharton Heath, and obviously Herbert Fowler had built Wharton Heath. And he said, well, let's get this Herbert Fowler bloke up and give him free reign, go riding off on his horse, as, as Mr. Fowler used to do, and pick the best sites and route a golf course. So he built Beau Desert, and he built Ball Bay within a couple of years of one another. And Ball Bay is on brilliant brilliant land it's extreme it's not links but it's free draining it's rocky um and he built some glorious holes there i remember walking around with the um with the general manager there and we we're going around and he said what do you think of this and i said well that bunker can't be original there's not a chance that bunker's original a few holes later there's not a chance herbert father built that bunker there either um we got round and there weren't many bunkers on the golf course like less than I don't know, less than a dozen probably, 11 or 12. Um, there were plenty of bunkerless holes out there. But when there were bunkers, you just thought, hmm, that's a bit. And he, I asked him about this, and he's, the next day gave me a call, and he says, Sam, I spoke to so-and-so. He's been a member here for 70 years. He's in his, well in his 80s. He's been playing golf here forever. And he said, in the 1970s, 1980s, they started a scratch league and they'd start playing golf against the other courses in the area and they didn't have a single bunker on the golf course they'd go and play matches against other golf courses and they'd get in a bunker and they wouldn't know how to play the shots so they thought oh maybe we should have bunkers on our golf course 
So they built 11 pretty crappy bunkers yeah. and dotted them over the golf course pretty arbitrarily. And you just think, it's, for me, it's quite a powerful little story because the average golf course in Britain is not a very good golf course. Let's face it. It's heavy soils. It's lacking in, probably wasn't designed by anyone half decent and um, it's under-resourced. And when you have interesting, special places with good land and great architectural progeny, it's worth defending those places, I would say, because regression to the mean is a powerful driver. And if you go and play matches against very average golf courses and you say, oh, well, these guys have got bunkers and we haven't got any bunkers, rather than someone saying, no, 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 you don't have bunkers because the landscape is there and the design doesn't need them. They went, oh, we don't have bunkers. Maybe that means that we're inferior to this mm. place. We better put some in. And it's funny how golf courses develop and evolve over time. And it's not always for, um, it's not always because they're improving. It's not always for architectural reasons. It's probably not always for um, for better maintenance reasons for, for you guys. Things sometimes just happen. Mm -hmm. And these are evolving living organisms that have been around for over 100 years through different financial climates and through wars and through recessions and through countless green committees mm. and sometimes they are the way they are and it's the old frog in the hot water thing if it changes gradually every single day something changes but you never notice it well all of a sudden 20 years have passed and the golf course has changed and it's not always for the better but you, you're absolutely spot on, Bledge. There are some great bunkerless golf courses out there. Berkhamsted doesn't have any bunkers and... Um, Sheep Ranch? Yeah, Sheep Ranch, because they... That was the, a design intent, wasn't it? Because mm -hmm. it was so windy, they thought they'd do it without. And you don't need a bunker. As often say, a bunker is sort of lazy architecture, mm -hmm. last resort, you know. I'd you I would love to see... I mean, I look at our left of our uh, open uh, 12 for example yeah big swale that they put in uh you could have put a bunker down there and then what shot have you got 58 degree wedge and that's it whereas if you have a swale in there you've got rescue club you could use you could use a five iron six seven well there are four clubs there. exactly and our, uh, it just it makes the game so much more interesting and for the 15 16 20 30 whatever handicap golfer if they're down there they can get their pusser out they can knock it yeah, up yeah, to the middle yeah. of the green and they fun they can play the shots and i bunker i hate bunkers i do because i'm not a good bunker player as well and i, I literally half balls i like then everything out and put a big smile on the ball but if you think if you're tiger woods down there it's and you've got fallen. it's much easier falling because you can get spin on the ball and you can get yeah, locked yeah. on the ball they, 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 and there's they love going shots they're quite happy they play for bunkers as well don't they and there's one shot that i'm getting completely off topic here but i remember this thing to tom Doe. <laughs> Uh, very, very quickly, I remember listening to Tom Doak on a podcast um, and he was talking about refurbishing, can't remember where it was, but I said this story on the podcast. Don't think so. Um, and he, he got Brooks Kepka to consult and he was talking about the number of bunks on the golf course. And it was a muni course in America, but it was hosting a PGA Tour event and they were going to do 60,000, 70,000 rounds a year. So, so much traffic that they wanted to make sure that people could get around quickly. And they said, right, Brooks, if we put bunkers at 300 yards away off the tee, how often will you go into those bunkers? They said, well, I'll never go in those bunkers because I'll just blaze driver over the top of them. 
He goes, okay, well, what about if we put the bunkers at 340 off the team? He says, well, I'll never get in those bunkers because I'll just hit three wood shots for them every time. And he said, okay, well, where do we need to put the bunkers to challenge you guys? And he says, you can't. You can't put a fairway bunker out there that we are going to consistently go in. And that could be a centerline bunker, it could be anything, because we know how far we hit the golf ball and we can adjust accordingly. Mm-hmm. So if you accept that for the very, very best players in the world, a bunker is not the same kind of challenge as it is for you and I and most golfers out there, well, then you'd say, okay, well, who are these bunkers for? Are they for average golfers? Well, do average golfers really need bunkers out there or are we just making it slower? Are we ruining their day? Oh, you know, there are players, there are bunkers undoubtedly on the vast majority of golf courses that are never going to challenge their club champion and are only found by the bad shots of bad golfers. So why are I they think there? a lot of like our bunkers though, for example, change on a day to day basis depending on ground conditions and wind. Wind, hundred percent. But there are still bunkers that I've never I just do not go in mm. on that golf course and I'm just a I'm just an amateur golfer. Mm. But I will never go in some of those bunkers. I think I've been in every one. That's a good effort. <laughs> in one round. But we have digressed enormously. Yeah, I get it, though. I get it. It's, it's, a, it's a bane of mine as well. I mean, uh, I think every greenkeeper would tell you the same, actually. Bunkers, it's uh, it's probably one of the least enjoyable parts of our job, I think. The, yeah. the, fact, the amount of work you put into bunkers and then... Uh, they just get the fact that they're, they're never raked properly or, or the right way and you watch people rake them half-heartedly with one hand and yeah yeah and, and uh, this maybe actually would be a good segue on to the next part because that is why I was at GIS okay was uh, I wrote an article during COVID about bunkers and bunker raking and whether or not bunkers rake should be put in after after uh, COVID and that won the communication excellence article or whatever and sponsored by Campy and the prize was to, to go to GIS so Brilliant. that's why we were there well that's why you were there, I was there with my CGP hat on wasn't I yep. but, um, but, we t- but again it was great to spend a couple of days with you and Jen and see the sunshine again which we haven't seen for a few months I mean, GIS is basically American Harrogate but Ten times bigger, yeah. Ten thousand people there, I think, and again, amazing, amazing job they've done of that. There were loads of Brits there this time. We stayed on International Drive. Yeah, the longest road in the world. Yeah, it's long. Uh, ghetto at the far side. <laughs> it's also got uh, the world's tallest swing on it that I was building going on. But he didn't see you. The one that was driving it. Petrified. Yeah. Absolutely petrified. And Jenny was trying to speak to me when I was at the top. Well, look at the fireworks. I was like, Jenny. Stop speaking to me. I've got my eyes closed. Like, I, I can't handle this. It was so <laughs> fast. And the wind the wind was pulling us from left to right as well. I literally thought I was going to die. So GIS is, is it, it was Orlando this year, Phoenix next year, Phoenix and then next San Diego? Year, San Diego. Does it sort of rotate between it, those it three goes places? Around. San Antonio comes into it as well. Okay, I don't know but it's, it's always somewhere there. warm in February. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was warm. It was which was nice. We stayed in a hotel, the Avanti International Rock, which was nice. Yeah, and we survived. Yeah. It there was, were times uh, when we thought we were going to get... We also met a friend out there as well, didn't we? Well, what, one night, one night there was a there was a lot of 
kerfuffle outside my my room. Oh yeah. By the guy blaming his uh, women of uh, running him over, and there was a lot. Of it was one up from a motel, was. wasn't it? It was yeah. one of those places that they put people in witness protection in a movie, and then they don't see the next day. But ours, uh, we were great, and the pro was brilliant as well. Oh, it was. Like, we spent a lot of time chilling out there, and I, but it was, it was. A brilliant, brilliant week, and I can't thank Campy enough for taking us out and looking after us that week. With it, I think all that for writing an article it was pretty amazing. It was really nice, and I really do enjoy writing yeah, articles. I get a lot from them, but I mean that was it was beyond. Like I mean, the guys at Campy were just fantastic, beyond the call of duty. That really, uh, very privileged. Uh, but we one of the days we went out and visited a golf course as well went to the country club of orlando and the the, the uh wes the, the the workshop manager showed us around beautiful golf course that looked amazing i didn't go there but you um that was an old donald ross course yes i saw all the greens up to uptown up, upside down saucers huge shapes in them i mean they were pretty much deal-esque mm-hmm. i would say i mean they had a lot of them had kind of back backboards on them you know so you could like yeah. run the ball up and round uh, Bermuda, I think, and uh, also see my first Kikoyu green. It was a Kikoyu, is it right? Well, uh, it was very in the era last week. Is that what they have there in the rough? Yeah, k- well, Kikoyu was the reason why they were all Spanky. complaining about not being able to land at shores of the par 3 4th and the 10th. And it's spongy and it's stuck. Um, why am I teaching you about grass? No, I don't know much about warm season grass. I'm, I'm cool season. Uh, I'd get eaten alive in America and also have to change from pounds and square feet and all that nonsense so uh, but we but while you went to um, Country Club of Orlando and and the one side of the end of the spectrum I went to somewhere that I'd been seriously excited about visiting Winter Park Mm. Winter Park well we we saw Keith uh, was it Keith Reps or was it Riley Johns who was talking Keith was it Keith? Yes. So Keith Rebs, Riley Johns um, were two core Crenshaw shapers for many years. I think they built, um, which one is the one that's just opened? Oh, Teori? He built, he built Sheep Ranch as well. Keith oh, he, loads of core Crenshaw stuff. But I think they just did Teori. They got stuck in uh, New Zealand when COVID came on. They just cracked on. Uh, but one of the places they built six, seven years ago was this old municipal golf course, Winter Park under-resourced, losing money every single year. I think they were racking up 300 grand that the local authority had to subsidise. And they came in, they blew us up, they built new greens, short grass everywhere, interesting green complexes, and now they've gone from doing whatever they did, I don't know, 12,000, 15,000 rounds, whatever it was. I think they do 43,000. Well, they couldn't get a game, could we? We went over there with this uh, pig-headed attitude, and we'll be able to get a game. Yeah, not a chance. Couldn't get on. We could have done if we'd got our finger out, but like we didn't really think about it till we were on the plane. <laughs> no, but it was somewhere I wanted to see because you know it's something that's kind of close to my heart. It's mm-hmm. it's great, you know, working at fabulous old clubs with great architecture, but also there's no shortage of eighteen hole golf courses in anywhere in the world. But there is a shortage of nine, twelve hole golf. We love a nine hole golf course. Love a nine hole golf course. Yeah, um, for me. And to, to rattle around there in an hour and a half or whatever um, suits the sort of modern, the modern person who's probably not quite as invested into golf as mm-hmm. maybe we are. Um, but, you know, 
modern life gets in the way sometimes. If you want to go out and play four or five hour round of golf, then crack on. But if you can't do that time-wise, then why can't you have options to do this? And Winter Park is clearly one of those places where it's rammed all day long. And you don't have to have long grass and ponds and losing golf balls. You can just go around and have endless fun because those greens are amazing and hitting approach shots into them are uh, clearly are enough to get people excited. Mm -hmm. So that was great for me to see that because I think we need more of that in Britain. We've got a couple of things that we're working on, but fingers crossed they'll come to fruition because we need to do, we need to do that. We need to have an alternative to golf. This isn't just the 18 holes private members club option. So well, on that note, Top golf, yeah, thumbs down from me. Yeah, it sounds. And we, I went twice. My first experience was a lot better than the second. The first one, had a two bloody Marys. Because you were drunk, yeah. Uh, and uh, some some Yingling, which I really got into the Yingling when I was across here and wings. Uh, so you were top. Someone else was paying, so that's yeah. why I enjoyed it. <laughs> we're in the top tier. Uh, and the second time we were down the bottom and it wasn't as good. It is a money-making machine, though, that place, isn't it? They're just... I think it was 90 bucks for, like, an hour of... of um, Like, if you don't play golf, I'm sure it's really cool. Ah, you could, well, because you don't have to be. I mean, you can knock off that top tee and still get 100 yeah. points, whatever. I mean, it's not the best player when really... If you're going there to be competitive, forget it. But it's just good fun. You know, some of the people that are there are just there for a laugh. It is an interesting wider thing, isn't it? Like, does golf have to be... Like, what? what is golf if you want to grow, grow the game, that horrible expression that doesn't really mean anything? But you think, what is golf if you boil it down to its essence? And some people would say that's smacking balls at top golf. But I'd say it's actually, you know, getting the ball in the hole. And at Winter Park, that's what you do. It's, mm -hmm. it's fun, but you get the ball from point A into point B. Um, and you've got to work out how to do it, and it's not just hitting shots. Like, if you distill football down to its essence, and you said, right, there's you're a kid and you've got half a dozen of your mates and you want to just have a little game of football, basic football, what do you do? Well, you throw your school bag or your hoodies down. and Jump like, for goalposts. Yeah, exactly, but you have a, you, you kick the ball with your mates and you play a micro version of football and you score a goal you don't just stand in a field and kick a football 40 yards away from you and then run and get it and kick it the other direction but that's what golf on a range is isn't it it's mm. it's not about hitting the shots it's about no, it was just good it was good for an experience just it was fun thing. it was fun i'm glad we did i, I didn't i'm giving it a not time. enjoy it it was uh it was good fun really good yeah um so what else were your your memories of GIS and how it compared to uh, Harrogate. Well, it is like Harrogate and steroids, you know. The scale was uh, enormous, wasn't it? There was dogs there. Yeah, geese dog. dogs. The geese dogs, they were amazing. You could win a dog, which is really cool. I met Joe Galotti. Your hero. What I meet for ages. A proper He's podcaster. Brilliant. A real podcaster. If anyone wants a proper podcaster, listen, listen to the Talking Greenkeeper, Joe Galotti. Uh, endorsed. Uh, I think yeah that was that was super I really the social side was great the receptions we went to at night with the Aquatrol's reception was first class yeah we went to pop stroke pop stroke that golf, was fun wasn't good, it good putting putting course 36 holes Tiger Woods design but you're not convinced Tiger Woods no, I'm not sure he even set foot in the property of course he did it's Tiger Woods mm. 
Uh, they had good wings there, and I actually worked out what I'm destined to be good at at life. The cornhole. 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 I am brilliant at cornhole. New niche sport for you. You got pumped at cornhole. I was talking. Uh, and then we went to basketball, which was good. We went to watch Orlando Magic uh, versus Miami Heat, which I really enjoyed. Not something you can do in Harrogate. Went to Epcot Center, which was yeah. good, but queues were just a nightmare. I went back with Harriet to Disney and it was completely different. Mm. Getting the lightning lanes sorted. God, that was unmanageable, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a long, like a two and a half hour queue for a three minute ride is just not good. But the, it, it was still, it was a great experience and I really enjoyed, we met up with Graham Beat, uh, Port Ruffs Coast Manager the night after at uh, Disney Springs, which is more our vibe, food and drink. Uh, and also, just before getting the plane back, Jen and I went on the helicopter ride uh, up and down International Drive and up International 4. But one thing that blew my mind about Orlando was Interstate 4, which was right beside our hotel. Yeah. Eight lanes of traffic, rammed, two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, which was when it's I was just waking a lot up. Of people there, aren't they? All night, all day constantly yeah and i would just i came away from america thinking god we're geo certified here we're trying electric everything we've uh we do recycling we're trying to be sustainable with our sand we're trying low fertilizer inputs we're doing low chemicals and then america is nuts with traffic yeah there's you know what i actually said that to harris as well i actually it's a bit depressing at times, isn't it? It's like, why are we bothering? Exactly. That's why I, I know it's, it's it's not the attitude we should have. Is like, what's the point? Why we do make a difference, and we make a difference to other yeah. parts of the well, parts of the world. Which sleep at night knowing that you you have tried, and it's someone else that's not saying they're ruining it for us. Is how are you ever going to get stopped? That, but it's that is wild. How many scare the consumption? Big cars and big gas guzzling cars and airplanes everywhere. I'll tell you what I found interesting. Remember when we were stood on the, we went to the Aquatrol stand and you were looking at some <laughs> products on the wall and it's like all the Periconstrictor and all that brilliant name for Polar Constrictor. Per, periconstrictor isn't that the best name? Well, Aquatrols for, for me have always just been wetting agents. Never yeah. known them to have chemicals. But the the different things that they have available in America mm. that you don't have access to mm. that looked like it was a completely different world of stuff available to those guys yeah well they had uh, they had chemicals that dealt with fairy ring uh, I mean a lot of these American supers are doing bi-weekly fun fungicide applications you didn't sneak any in your carry-on no way home I imagine that I did think about bringing our friend home though and I when we were uh when we were in the queue to security, I said to Jenny, I says, look, I've brought him. He's in the suitcase. And she, she went mental. She was, you better not have done. If this suitcase gets taken off the plane because you've tried to bring a bloody grasshopper home, then... Fletch <laughs> and I found a, a deceased grasshopper who we bonded with. Um, by the jacuzzi. By the jacuzzi one evening. Stuart. Stuart, mm. RIP. And I actually, I had him in a little, uh, well, there's original rapper that I was going to bring him home and present you to uh, the podcast. And I've got a surprise for you. What? No. I don't know. Jerry would have divorced me. Yeah, but at least we would have had Stuart. So. Mm. I just I just had this fear of him showing up in the x-ray machine and then the guy, the plane not leaving because I've tried to 
thing I've ever thought about. COVID-22. You and your also. airport anxiety. I don't know. I'm not a good person to go on holiday with at all. <laughs> but, yeah, I had, a, I had a, a fantastic time. You know, January, start of February was amazing. Really enjoyed Harrogate and GIS. Got so much from it, you know. It's... Uh, you come back with loads of ideas. I mean, my phone is gunnelled with pictures of stuff and ideas and contacts. And you come back, and even though it's America, you can still apply it to your own golf course, whether that be products or ways of doing things. Or, I mean, the workshop only at Orlando Country Club. Uh, I was speaking to my, car, my mechanic when we got back, and we've, we've kind of actioned some new things after seeing that there. Brilliant. Uh, and it just gives you a kick, kick up the backside, to be honest, when you see how well they do things and you think, oh, God, this is a, an open golf course. We should be the, the very best. But there's sometimes you fall short on things, so it's a good reminder to to, to kind of sort it out. Can I ask you something um, from the greenkeeping side of things, Pledge? So one thing that struck me in Orlando versus Harrogate is... You know, I've gotten to know plenty of course managers, greenkeepers, and great. The thing that struck me in America is how culturally different they were. Like everyone, not everyone, but almost everyone was wearing like blue blazer, beige chinos, and a tie. And the difference between a superintendent at someone getting paid half a million bucks or whatever they get paid at the, the top places. And uh, and in Britain, where it's just more normal guys, mm-hmm. uh, as I call them, you know, normal, normal guys, um, the, the level of professionalism yeah. over there really sort of struck out. It stands out. out, definitely. Did you notice that? Oh, I have done for years, yeah. I mean, you, the... These the Americans go to top colleges, you know, the Ohio State, the Rutgers, they they go to really really good universities, uh, and it, I mean it's a big old country, you know. Of course, it is. Yeah, to our wee Britain, uh, I think we I still think we do decent. There's other areas where we could we could do better in, but I mean, it, you're right, it completely is. It's phenomenal. I mean, American supers get paid a lot a lot of money. Uh, these guys work hard, like we they. They work a lot of hours, yeah, a lot of hours, and they, they don't get as many holidays as we get, you know. Uh, but yeah, the level of professionalism is uh, is is de- definitely noticeable. Do you think that's something that British greenkeeping is sort of moving increasingly towards, or do you think it's not necessarily somewhere you want to actually get to? Uh, I don't. I we are offering degrees and stuff now, and there's a lot of great educational opportunities but the actual university kind of level that the, the americans are offering out we're not there yet no uh it's, it was never do you think offered. we need to be uh you look at how good the americans are but we do we do or we can hold our own like i mean you look at look at the look at the golf courses we were producing uh on the television here well this is what i mean you know people they come from america over here to learn things from you bledge um, and the other guys at, at all the other places, you must be doing something, right? I think the Brits have got good, can't be got that a good big. feel for it, you know, and we work hard, but it's, uh, yeah, I, 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 it's a really, really good question, you know, 
it would be, I would have loved to have went to university and kind of, uh, my college days weren't great, if I'm honest. I, I didn't feel that I learned a lot at all at college. I think I learned when I started working on the job. Uh, I think with the way I see like our apprentice doing now, the mix between college and work and learning on the job is really good. Uh, but yeah, I know a lot of guys have taken a lot from him. You look at Dan Lightfoot, what he's learned through from he's from all his uh, yeah. and Lee Strutt, you know, they, they've done really well. Uh, but you know, it's I think it's a good blend of both. It's a it's a very difficult question to answer because I mean, would you ever fill classes at a university in Britain when we are just now really struggling to employ greenkeepers, struggling struggling to staff people? How can we make that sustainable to? Uh, keep a, a college making enough money to keep the door open every year. Do you think you need to do that to drive um, wages and, and remuneration across the industry there and try and bridge that gap between what they're expecting and what, what's currently on offer? Well, the, the wages in America are so high because look at what they pay for membership. I mean, uh, you... I mean, these, these American courses are like our top, top courses in Britain. Of course. Like, everything over there is... is uh, there's a gulf price wise and expectation wise but still you know there's I kind of liken it and look, maybe I'm miles miles off the mark so tell me if I'm being an idiot but I do notice in Britain when you used to go to the, sh the sheds when I was a when I were a lad and and it was a bit more not at Hoylake but generally because I've always been interested in this stuff and it's a bit like when you went to get your car service at a garage and and the blokes with with oil stains and things, and and it was a little more like that. Whereas mm -hmm. now it's you plug your car into the computer, and there's a guy in the with a shirt on tapping away a few things, tells you what's mm -hmm. wrong. And I, I know that's some massive overgeneralization, but it feels like that's the way sort of greenkeeping is. Mm -hmm. Course managers are, are, are going like the drive to professionalism is clear. In Britain, it's just obviously that bit more advanced in America, where they have more money and mm -hmm. and perhaps they. They started on the process of really driving the professionalism slightly longer ago. Mm. Well, there's a lot more at risk across there when it comes to, I mean, member satisfaction. If you're paying fifty thousand dollars a year for your membership, I mean, I wonder what how much you pay for a course like Hoylake in America. Oh well, it would be hundred thousand. Yeah. Year. Well, you, there are places in that's quarter of a million quid joining fee and yeah. um, I mean, ten thousand bucks a month. Whereas the, the membership fee here is actually very reasonable. Well, of course it is, but equally, you're not just, um, it's very important what we as members think of the golf course, but equally, you know, how much revenue does the Open Championship generate? Yeah. It's probably a nine-figure event. You know, you, 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 can't, you can't get away with doing a crap job on that, mate. You, you've got to, the pressure to deliver an Open Championship has got to be at least comparable to some wealthy blokes in America. It's just you say that I should be paid the same as the the the, the top. Well, obviously, not you particularly, <laughs> but some of the other guys. Yeah, uh, they've, they've, uh, it's it is America's just it's it's nuts when it comes to that. You know, the the more, there's more money. There's there's the I mean, it's hard, difficult to get any of these top golf clubs as well. I mean, it's impossible. It's such it is a, causally a different sport, isn't it? It's kind of like the difference I think between Scotland and England. Like Scotland and England have a different golfing culture. And England to America is is it's kind of like the same thing, but times ten. Mm. Like it, it is a the preserve of the wealthy, and and that's why 
you know, to go back to what I said at the start of the American part of it, you know, why places like Winter Park are so important and so special because um, just as there's no competition or there is endless competition for 18 Hall private clubs in England, well, God, there absolutely is in America as well. So somewhere that's a bit different and books a trend and is maintained by, I think they've got four guys at Winter Park, but that's four guys. Okay, it's nine holes, but mm -hmm. 42,000 rounds a year, busy, loved. Um, it's probably somewhat comparable to to Britain um, in terms of the conditioning out there. It wasn't absolutely manicured to an inch of its life, but it was, it was brilliant. Mm -hmm. And clearly there is an appetite and there is a demand for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's 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 a big it's a big money game out there, definitely. As you could see at that show, that would have cost a bit of money to put on. Uh, but I mean, I mean, you look at the machinery that we looked at. I did find it funny the John Deere on one side and the Taurus stand on the other side of the hall, mm -hmm. and it was always like they were staring each other down, yeah, like us, uh, and it's <laughs> trying to outdo, trying to outdo one another. I know. Yeah, but you know the the good thing about these guys is always very respectful about each oh, other. It's funny. They're good. You don't really, you know that any time they, they, they try and kind of badmouth a machine or whatever, they'll be, be shot down. So what what else did you take away, Bledge, as a difference between Harrogus and GIS? Uh, uh, I wish I wish I could have done more of the education. You know, I just kind of arrived a couple of days too late. Uh, but they, they've got some really fun events uh, that I'd love to have seen. I remember a, c a couple of years ago seeing uh, uh, Matthew Gurley do the, uh, the, the spin the wheel. Mm. It was like, a, you know, the Wheel of Fortune used to pull that. And it was like a debate. And it was great because there were like five superintendents up on, the, up on the stage. And that was a bit of fun. Uh, you know, it's just, it, 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 it's just high octane. And I think you never... You were never bored for a second. No. You're not a Harrogate either, but you know, it, for me, it was just it was super stimulating, uh, and I just didn't want it to end most of the time. You know, it was really good. So we're back home now, and we're recording this towards the whenever it is end of February, end of February, um, and we are on the running now to a big week in July. So mm. have you got? Uh, are you happy? Yes, yes. I, uh, the course is. It's dry just now, we could do a wee bit of rain. We've been doing a lot of dry jack work on the greens, uh, top dressing, filling, topping up all the bunkers, all 86, I think, 86 bunkers, we've got 84. Yeah. And I noticed you've gone from, uh, you started to rake them as a as a yeah, ball, you came in, and now they'd be raked flat. Yeah, raking them flat, to revealing when they were balled up. Dodgy lies on, yeah, on Saturday. super tough. Uh, we've revealed another four or five rows of revetting, and raking them flats and the balls get trapped in the face but in the meantime the members are allowed to drop back because the faces are GUR to save people hacking them away uh, which I hope you've been doing I didn't know that you didn't know that? no sorry oh god you've not ruined any of my faces have you? of course not you don't hit it in bunkers though you said I don't hit it in fairway bunkers uh, <laughs> and plenty of greens uh, yeah everything else is just waiting for a little bit of growth a little bit of fertiliser to go down this week Uh some iron in it yeah snagging work and uh, getting spectator walkways cut in before the skylarks nest in april uh but yeah happy team we've got 12 12 members of staff now and i'm just doing ready to do interviews for weekday guys to come in and rate bunkers and stuff so exciting 
yeah, all the all the open teams in place. Yeah, it's it, it, it's super. We're, we're we're good to go for that. All the sponsorship for the for the for the clothing is great. Got to say, ICL, Syngenta, and Aitkins. It's really nice of them to do that. And uh, we've got all the bunker bins in place for people to stay in. Uh, and I just need to find myself a DJ for the for the final night party, which Ledge Fest. It's so far going to be me. So it's going to be a night of prog rock, metal, punk, parkour, never in between. Amazing. Well, I think we covered Harrogate, GIS, and a few other things besides mm. their pledge. So um, I guess we should leave it at it and let these guys carry on with their lives. So Excellent. if you have made it all the way through this episode, thanks for listening. It's a long one this week. It's a long one. Um, but we've got some good ones lined up, like we, like we mentioned, and a few more besides. So hopefully between now over the spring and coming up to the big event, we've got some exciting people to bring bring your way and um and as i say thank you very much indeed for listening see you next time see you next time